Welcome podcasters, Teresa McBean here at North Star Community, and I'm here today with my usual sidekick. Scott McBean, also at North Star Community. In the same room, even. Yep. Yeah, so we're starting a new series at North Star Community on forgiveness, and Scott kicked us off with his forgiveness message, uh, and this was the last weekend in October, if I'm recalling correctly. Yep. Uh, I love this. October 26th. Do you need a nap? Did our podcast listeners just hear you yawn? They did. Hmm. All right. So perk up, buttercup. No nap required, though. Uh, All right. Good. So um, the scripture passage you used is one that people have suggested to me is quite triggery for them. So triggery alert. Hmm. But the idea that you're going to convey is one of my favorite ideas that you ever teach on. So um, let's roll into this and get started. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say today. Yeah, I think we don't... um, Actually, I would be curious to start taking notes of a breakdown and see how often we start with a passage versus using it in the middle versus using it at the end of a message. Well, you just be all scientific about that. I would be curious, but I would bet that we don't start with them often. That's probably true. Um, And I wanted to start with this one because I felt like it was going to set the tone for the rest of the conversation. Now, the triggery part here is going to have something to do with language around the wrath of God and God getting vengeance. Now, I want to say at the outset so that you can perhaps hear the passage for what it is, These, uh, in this context, it's not just talking about the fact that this could happen to any old person. It's not talking about the fact that this could happen to anybody. It's talking about the fact that uh, there are going to be people who out and out refuse to live according to God's way of seeing, reject God himself, uh, reject his people. Uh, This is going to be a a lifelong adventure, a lifelong misadventure, uh, perhaps, but Uh, We're talking about people who are well and probably well and truly evil. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that word even can get complicated in faith circles because I think a lot of times we talk about evil as if everybody's evil until they accept God and then they're not evil anymore. And I don't think that's really true. Right. I think that there's a difference between being inclined away from God and being evil. Right. Right. Um, And I think that's a distinction worth making. But I say that at the outset so that we can hear that in this passage that in all likelihood, if you're listening to this podcast, um, that part is not directed at you. That part is directed at somebody who's working very hard uh, to undermine what God is doing in the world. Not somebody who's trying to follow God and getting it wrong from time to time. Okay. I think I've heard you said say before that we need to think about within this passage is that there are people who are actively hostile towards God. Right. And and that's what the second half of this passage is talking about. Yes. Um, so yet again, we've managed not to lead with the passage. We just can't bear to do that. Well, you know, but we I started think... pretty. We're starting pretty early in the conversation. <laughs> well, I think that. Um... This way, people will hear the passage better. Yeah, I think and I so. wish I had given that. I wish I had given that spiel when I actually did this message, but I didn't. So this is from Romans twelve, I believe. It's not actually on my notes. Definitely um, Romans twelve. 
Yeah, I was I was pretty sure. Um, One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And I would imagine that I copied and pasted this from the CEB because that's what I usually use. But if not, it's the NRSV, if you care. You probably don't, so I'm taking too long. So let me just read this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Quite a few verses. Yes. And I gotta say that um, I don't know exactly what part is triggering for other people, but I do know that this line, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their heads, always brings me back into the memory of the first first movie of Home Alone, where Kevin sets up a flamethrower mm-hmm. and catches the evildoer's head on fire when he comes through the dog door. Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. I don't think that. Uh, so I believe that he hits Daniel Stern in the head with an iron when he comes through the dog door and that Joe Pesci's uh, hair and hat get burned off on the front porch. But it doesn't I, matter. I like, to be, I like to be doing a podcast <laughs> with somebody who actually remembers the details of movies. But, you know, whether you're getting an iron to the face, uh-huh. hot iron to the face, yep. or getting your your wool cap caught on fire. That's what I picture when we get to verse 20. I don't think that's what it means, and I'm hoping you're going to help us uh, unpack that a little bit. What, the burning coals thing? Yeah. It's So this is interesting to me. Tell me why, tell me what bothers you about that part. Oh, it didn't bother me, but I just, you know. This has come up from time to time with people, and I actually... Like, I can tell you what I was told about It's not it. at all triggering for me, Like, and in fact, I, I like that part, so yeah. I'm curious what what you're seeing, because I'm not seeing it. Well, I was just making a joke. Oh, okay. I was making a jokey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As your nephew and my uh, grandson say. Okay. I was just making a jokey. Okay. Uh, but what I was taught about that passage, and... I'd be interested to know, um, which is a total digression right out of the gates. But I was told that it that um, to bring um, burning coals to someone was to actually an act of kindness if their fire goes out. So I'm not really sure that that's true, but I did hear a sermon on that once. So if we don't unpack that in this message... I would like to unpack it in future messages. Okay. Well, I mean, I think it's a much simpler idea. I mean, I think the idea is if you're talking about enemies, like in, in this context, we're talking about truly evil people. Right. So if you have somebody in your life who's truly evil, and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably do know somebody who falls under that category. I do. That living in such a way as to feed them when they're hungry, 
or to give them a drink when they're thirsty, to not seek revenge on them, but to seek to live peaceably with them when possible, right? Like right. taking into account you Safety. need to keep yourself safe, all that stuff. Boundaries, yeah. Um, but if you live in this way, that it, that's painful Yeah. to the person who is trying to harm you. I mean, like when somebody's actively seeking your harm and you respond by seeking their good, um, that doesn't feel right. Like we want to get revenge. We desire revenge. We want to treat people the way they treat us, all that stuff. And I'm that way too. I'm not saying I'm above it. I'm just saying as an idea. Yeah. Like it in, in practice, this actually, I think, hurts a lot worse than responding to evil with evil. Yeah. And it's not necessarily saying that's a good thing. It's just saying like the impact of responding to evil with good is deep. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It does. It's just imagining burning coals on somebody's head is quite an image. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, I, I don't, I don't. Um, so if you were to take the Bible literally... Um, then perhaps you'd come away with the idea that heaping burning holes on, uh, heaping burning holes, heaping burning coals on somebody's head would be a good thing. I don't recommend that. Well, I mean, this is one of those examples of, and again, I'm going to stop digressing in just a second. But this is one of those examples where sometimes I'm like, was what I was taught true or not true? So, what I was taught was that. Um, you would have put these burning coals in a basket and carried them to someone as an act of kindness to light their kitchen fire. Um, I, w- I, I think your explanation makes a lot more sense because because of the the structure of the sentence, for by doing this. So it's not saying feed the hungry, uh, water the thirsty, and restart the home fires of the evil, right? So... What you're saying here makes more sense. So thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how burning coals on heads worked in that day and age, but what I would say is that I've found over time is that most of the stories that circulate of people saying, this is a very strange thing that happened in that day and time, those tend to not be true. Yeah. But, I mean, there's, there's times where they are, so it's yeah. it's harder for me to say with without... Uh, Without knowing firsthand, but we'll it's re- not we'll, a digression. We'll research this first. We'll yeah. research this further. But it's not a dig- digression, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, because this is like this is what the entire message hinges on. Okay. Is this relationship that we have to the people who've harmed us? Okay. And we have this innate desire. Uh, I think. I think it's a very human thing to want to get revenge to want to treat people the way we've been treated, like I just said. like, And it is it is baked into the very fabric of our culture such that there, there are so many cultural examples of this that we don't even recognize. There's a whole genre of movie called, well, I don't know necessarily that it has a formal title, but like revenge movies are a thing. Right, right. Um, there are, I, I almost watched, I tried to convince Brittany to watch one with me on Amazon recently. Uh, and I can't remember the name of. I had never heard of it before, but it's just a movie about a woman who goes on a killing spree out of revenge, right? And there's lots of, and I love movies like this. Yeah, yeah. Because it's very cathartic. The idea of somebody getting revenge is very cathartic. I can remember in college one week 
AMC, I believe, did a, a Death Wish movie marathon. I can't remember how many Death Wish movies are. There's at least five, the Charlie Bronson ones. Yeah. And I think the first one starts out, his wife or his daughter is killed. I can't remember which one. Or She's in the hospital. It's been a number of years. It's been 10 or 12 years since I've seen it. But the idea is, you know, there's some hooligans. You know, they kill her or maim her. And then he goes out He goes out and buys a gun on the black market, maybe a knife and some other stuff. And he goes wandering the streets at night, hoping to stumble into these people so that he can kill them. And then I think what ends up happening is he kills a lot of hooligans in the movie and then works his way up to the people who actually killed his wife or daughter. And, I mean, I, I you know, the whole time, every time he kills somebody, it's like, yes, yes. And then we have the John Wick movies. And I'm pretty ambivalent about the Death Wish movies I just watched them because in those days we, we didn't have Netflix yet. So I was just like watching whatever came on. But now like the John Wick movies, there's three of them and they're making a fourth. And in the beginning of the first movie, his wife dies of cancer. Her parting gift to him is this puppy. These mobsters kill the puppy, John Wick. They don't know it. He's a former assassin. He goes on a citywide killing spree and when he kills the people who kill his dog, I tell you what, there is not a better feeling than watching <laughs> that guy eat it. And um, well, it's a survival. It's a survival instinct, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I I, I think all cultures uh, it, it's driven into the the to the uh, you know that base part of our brain that's a survival is you know. Uh, we got to make sure that we're safe. It's survival, and it makes sense to me why you would say that. And I think it's also, um, it's also this idea that unjust, random, chaotic yep. things um, are not going to get the final say. Yeah. Right. That like. That's what really, really inspires me. Yeah. Like the reason I like the revenge movies, I like them all very much. I like Liam Neeson's revenge movies. Taken. Yeah. And dad's like, they aren't good movies. And I'm like, I don't care. I just love watching Liam Neeson just take watched, people down. Yeah. He's, he's, and, and I love it because I think there is so much of the world that we feel powerless over the injustice of the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's that's it what feels righteous and, and mm-hmm. true to me. This sense of justice that that one guy armed with a couple of knives and a banana peel can take out all the evildoers of the world. Yeah, that in that you know, though injustices may happen, they will be righted. Right. You know, and in a violent way. Right. And um I I think particularly if you can use a banana peel to do it. <laughs> so there's something really um it's just hitting at something really base within us, and I don't even know exactly what it is. But I would guess I'm not alone um, in loving those movies. Uh, but, you know, to to try to... Um, <laughs> I think uh, we've both gone on some tangents here that were fun, and I'm trying to figure out how I tied this in to the message. We have this great desire for revenge, right? And one of the questions that often comes up when we talk about forgiveness is like, um, this, you know, I, 
I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, how to word the question, but, you know, people often want to know when, when is forgiveness not appropriate to do? Or is there ever a time that forgiveness is not appropriate to do? And we could have a whole debate about that. And I would say there's that it's always, and, and we can unpack this in the coming weeks. So if this statement really bothers you, then hang with us. But I would say that forgiveness is always on the table. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's always going to happen, but it's always something we should at least consider. But revenge is not on the table. And vengeance is not on the table because that's God's work to do. And there's our work to do in the world and there's God's work to do in the world. And sometimes those things overlap and sometimes God works through us. Sometimes God works with us as partners And sometimes God just reserves certain kinds of activities that he says, these are mine to do, they're not yours to do. Right. And revenge is one of those things. Right. And part of what we hope for as faithful people is that God is going to one day set all things right. And I think that the way that the Bible is written, written in a much older time by much more barbaric people, we might think that God is going to do this in a violent way like these movies. And I don't think that's what's actually happening, right? And people thought Jesus was going to be a violent ruler. They thought he was going to be a king who led wars and battles, and he wasn't because God shows us that he's different than what our base instincts are. Right, right. And so we see here a passage that's really setting the stage for a conversation about forgiveness and a bunch of other things because the instructions to us are, if possible, so much as you can, Live peaceably with all. Right. And venge- and and I think, you know... Live in harmony with one another. You're leading out of the gate. No matter what it is, we're going to talk about forgiveness, and we're going to talk a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what comes after this, uh, vengeance is never on the table for us. Um. Yeah, the question... That's, that's not... That's, that's never going to be on the table for us. And the question I was trying to remember that... Um, came up during this message was there's people who are not playing by these rules. So what do we do with that? Right. And to me, I'm like, that's exactly the point. Right. Like we play by our rules, even though that can be a pain and other people are not going to play by the same rules. And that's going to mean that at times we get taken advantage of and now we can have a whole sidebar about what kinds of what I mean by being taken advantage of and when being taken advantage of is too much and too little and that kind of thing. Um, but the idea here is that we always act out of our certain way of seeing in good faith, uh, trusting that this is going to have an impact. Right. Right. So I, I hear that first question, and but I have a second question that goes with it that I also hear a lot. So your first question is... You know, um, well, when, when are, what are the exception clauses to this vengeance and forgiveness thing where forgiveness is always on the table no matter how you end up? You know, there, there are a million applications, but it's always on the table. Vengeance is never on the table. And so people are asking, when does that go too far? Okay. The other question, which we're not going to address today, but hold on to your hats because we are going to address it in the future, is, um, and I believe we're even going to address it next week uh, in the next uh, podcast, uh, when 
Um, and and I, I want to bring it up because I think even this early in the series, you began to answer that question in a quite lovely way, is how do I know if I've really forgiven? So I think people mm-hmm. are super scared that the people that really want to play by the rules and want to forgive are super scared that they're not. And right. I think that part of that we're going to unpack this a tiny bit this week and in future weeks because they have an awful high bar of expectation of what forgiveness really means. Right. So you've got those two extremes. When, you know, and uh, and I'm eager for us to continue the conversation uh, in the weeks ahead about forgiveness. But for today, I think you're saying that forgiveness begins, the starting point for forgiveness begins by making a conscious decision about what is or is not on the table and revenge is not on the table. Yes, and I want to I want to make uh, I'll use I want to make one thing clear that I think we should always uh, probably be mindful of, which is if you're in an abusive relationship, um, forgiveness doesn't look like staying in that relationship uh, because some if you're being abused, let's say in the case of a husband and a wife, um, that's um, your, your marital vows have been broken by the abuse itself, and you right. need to be safe, and we need to make sure um, that that kind of harm uh, does not continue. So leaving a situation like that is not an example of getting revenge. We're going to talk more next week about what revenge can look like and what it doesn't look like. But we, what I always like to say at the beginning of these conversations is that uh, we tend to think that forgiveness means too much, which is kind of the point that, that you're getting to, that forgiveness means totally reconciling relationships, not leaving relationships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Having no negative feelings about the person. Having no negative feelings about right. a person who's harmed us. Having no desire for revenge. Having no desire for revenge. And what I think, you know... I'm trying to get a little more nuanced because we're not taught what difficult forgiveness looks like. Uh, you know, times where it's really hard to forgive somebody and we've been really, really horribly wounded. We're not taught what forgiveness looks like in a setting like that. We're not taught the we're not taught about the fact that it's really hard to live in the same house as an abuser. Right. We're not taught that it's perfectly natural to want to hurt someone who's hurt us. Right. And yet all of these things are true. And it tends to be that we're taught to pretend, to pretend like things are okay, to put on a nice face, to talk about the weather, whatever. We're taught to, to brush past all of these really difficult uh, parts about trying to be a forgiving person. So just to be clear, because I think what you said a second ago could have been a little confusing. Um, just to be clear, the one thing we are not saying is that um, forgiveness means tolerating any kind of abuse. And it is not an act of vengeance to distance oneself in a relationship, uh, to get to safety, to leave a home where abuse is taking place. That's a completely different subject, right? Yeah, I thought I, I thought that was exactly what I said. Well, you made the statement in there in the middle about 
we don't talk about how hard it is to live in a house where somebody's being abusive. So I just want right. to be clear. What I mean by that is like we're taught we're we're either not taught that this is a reality at all and people just act like life is always going to be good or when these things happen we're taught that you should just stay put often in Christian right. circles and both of those things are wrong are wrong these things do happen and they're difficult and they do happen in quote good christian homes yeah, yeah. and so because and i say this because uh People who have a really hard time forgiving think they're bad at forgiveness. So if you're in a situation like that or have been in a situation like that and you're struggling with forgiveness and you still desire revenge or you don't hope for the best for the other person, it's my belief that you're not bad at forgiveness. You know, I think that's more just being a human being who is aware of the consequences of really bad things that have happened to him. And I think that what's described here in this passage and what's described in other passage passages like it is that what's important is how we act towards people who have harmed us, not how we feel towards people who've harmed us. Now, I, I'm not saying that our feelings are totally unimportant. I'm saying that when it comes to forgiveness, not taking revenge is, in my opinion, at least the first step in forgiving. And I'm kind of tempted to say that not seeking revenge in and of itself is the whole of forgiveness. In some cases. In some cases. It and may be the best we can do, and that may be good enough. Yeah, and I, I am tempted to say in all cases with some qualifications, but I think that's next week's message. Okay. But I think that just because you have a hard time forgiving, just because uh, you still have those negative feelings, just because you're tempted to seek revenge, that doesn't mean you're bad at forgiveness. Right. If you haven't sought that revenge, if you're not actively seeking to harm this other person, then you've at least done a significant forgiveness work. You are at least in the forgiveness process. You are at least practicing forgiveness, even if that loop is not totally closed. And we can debate that. Yeah. 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 And you are drawing an example of, um, um, forgiveness is process, mm -hmm. not a once and done kind of thing. Um, Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a process, I suppose, to continue not to seek someone else's harm. Right. Um, right. And I, and yes, forgiveness is definitely a process. There's no, I don't want, I don't want anybody to think that I doubt that. Um, now so. I know, I know another thing about forgiveness that really is a bee in your bonnet. And, um, I'd like you to talk about that. Okay. Because we've really talked about forgiveness when it's really hard. Mm -hmm. But I happen to know that um, you sometimes get a little agitated when forgiveness seems, um, I don't want to say too easy, like when forgiveness language has been used too quickly? Too quickly. When forgiveness language has been used too quickly. Talk to me about that a little bit. How do you feel about that? Well, I, um, so I never want to be a person who says that they know better about another person's forgiveness than they do. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, though, 
one of the things that tends to happen that I question is, um, well, let me give an example. I can remember um, being in a Bible study of some sort, and somebody played a news clip, and in the news clip, it was a family saying that they had forgiven the person who had murdered their son, and the son had been murdered just days before this interview. Now, I'm not questioning whether or not the family forgave or didn't forgive. That's not that's not what I get concerned about. The way that it was used in the Sunday school class was to say, look, forgiveness is quick. Forgiveness can be quick. Forgiveness can just be pronounced. You know, it was like, this is how it should be. Right. This, is, should, this is an aspirational you know, message. No matter what happens to you, even if somebody kills your, kills your boy, you ought to be able to get up there and just forgive that person. Right. And this was told as an inspirational message. Right. And an aspirational message. And that, to me, is when I start to get agitated because it's no longer about whether that family forgave or not. It's now we have used this story to tell other people what forgiveness should look like. Right. And forgiveness is complicated. It looks a lot of different ways. I've had probably the hardest time forgiving some of the more minor offenses in my life. I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying that it doesn't always, sometimes larger things, for whatever reason, I have had an easier time forgiving than smaller things. And I don't know why that is, but I think it just points to the fact that this is a really complicated thing. So when we say that something that is a legitimately huge tragedy, probably the worst thing that family's ever going to experience that forgiveness in that situation, because they were able to say it so quickly that everybody else ought to be able to do the same, I think, well, now we are playing with fire and we're doing something dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it always makes me worried because I wonder if sometimes quick to rally around someone who uses the right words very quickly in the story, which is cool if they can do it. So I'm agreeing that, that there's no judgment on that. But to talk about it in the should-ought language that you're referring to, it just makes me wonder if the observers in us that are watching it like that because it allows us to not think about that family's pain. Yeah, and yes, I mean, that's that's the part that, you know, when you tell that story as an inspirational story, you right. are no longer talking about the pain, right? You're just talking about, like, look at how good forgiveness is. Right. And that's the part that's really dangerous. And it can make us feel better. But that was a news clip. We don't know what it's going to be like. And we, Golly day. We do know, we do have enough experience to know that three days after a loss, um, most people are still pretty much in shock. So Yeah, I mean, I would say that those people have no idea at that point whether they've forgiven or not. I could be wrong. Like, I could be totally wrong. But I would be willing to bet that they they ha are going to have no idea if they've forgiven a year from now. Right. You know, like, if you revisit them a year later, what would they, they probably would um, qualify their comments. You know, just because we know how, how that can be when you're in the thick, when you're in the thick of that moment and then you get a little distance, things change. In point of fact, I have a friend who just told me recently that um, he has just come into the grips with the fact that um, 20 years later after a tragic loss, 
he's not sure he ever processed his his own uh, issues around forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's just beginning to feel like it's safe enough for him to think about that. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that we're saying here is that we're not taught what difficult forgiveness looks like. And um, and you've said that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've used a couple of different ways to say that. We're not taught about what forgiveness that is very difficult looks like. Yeah, so what we mean is that forgiveness is very difficult. Yeah. But forgiveness can also look a little bit different. Uh, this is the point that I really want to drive home. Forgiveness can look a little bit different than what we've thought. It's not just about making bad feelings towards somebody into good feelings. It's how are you acting towards that person? And if you're not in relationship with a person, then you don't even have the opportunity to get revenge. And that can be a gift. You know, setting right. up a boundary can mean that you are not take that you no longer have the opportunity to even take revenge, which means you're doing forgiveness by default. Right. So sometimes setting up a boundary can mean doing something good for yourself uh, so that you're not causing harm when you otherwise would be. Right. And I think that, you know, the, the bottom line for me, the final thing is just that we practice forgiveness in this way, not because we don't care about injustice, not because we want people to get off scot-free, but because we hope, trust, and believe that we have a God who's going to make all things right in his time according to his will. So one of the reasons we're breaking forgiveness down into itty-bitty pieces is because we absolutely believe that forgiveness is um, one of those things that goes into our um, inspired way of seeing yeah. as people of faith. And so it's always on the table for discussion. It's mm-hmm. always on the table for for. Uh, for wrestling with. <laughs> that and, sounds disgusting, but I know what you mean. Yeah. And um, and I quite like that. Yeah. Um, I think to summarize, I would say that um, forgiveness, the beginning of forgiveness is the refusal to retaliate Uh so that then we can continue to figure out the rest of it as we go. And that forgiveness absolutely does not begin with nice, happy feelings towards the wrongdoer. Right. And I think that's the thing that that most people are tripping over because they believe they're so feelings-oriented in this area related to forgiveness Um, that they believe that if they don't have nice, happy feelings, they haven't forgiven. Um, And you're saying that wrestling with our feelings about forgiveness is probably going to come a little further down the road, but let's not complicate the whole process by going out with a knife and a banana peel and uh, seeking revenge. Right. So forgiveness begins when we decide to not take action against the people who've wronged us. And if you haven't sought revenge then you are practicing forgiveness, and there is perhaps more to come on that front. Yeah. And then, although you've said this already, I want us to lead, uh, 
not bury this in the in the message. Um, as always, we're having discussions about this because we're trying to wrestle with what it means to trust in a God who desires to right wrongs and who desires to protect and care for his creation. So uh, I think that is the underpinning of why we have these kinds of discussions, and I just don't want that to get lost in the sauce of the message. Recap. Yeah, yeah. Forgiveness, in, in very short terms, forgiveness is about self-restraint. And, and I uh, include that last part that you just said in the message because I don't want us to think that we are restraining ourselves from getting revenge because we are hopeless about injustice. Right. We're restraining ourselves because we believe that there's a God who has a better perspective and a better plan, right. a better will, and a better way of accomplishing his will right. than what we would come up with, and that for that reason, revenge is not our work to do. Right. Um, and as long as we're not doing that, then we are in the process of practicing forgiveness. Right. Now, I know people people don't like these ideas. This has not been one of the more popular things that I have come up with as a pastor. Uh, my my <laughs> no, ideas people about, have pushed back on this harder than my, anything. My ideas about forgiveness are um, so funny because I think that it's a much more uh, it's something that you can grasp. It's something you can actually do. It makes forgiveness a little more concrete. It makes forgiveness possible even in the worst circumstances. And yet people hate this idea. They do give you a lot of pushback about it. Man, I'm trying. But you keep trying because I like it. Uh, it's working for me. I feel good about it. I'm not, I'm not, if you don't like it, you don't like it. And that's fine. That's your prerogative. But it's not going anywhere for me. I've been chewing on this for a long time. I'm pretty happy with it. That's good. We're, I just want you to be happy. Yeah. That's what I live for is your happiness. <laughs> yeah. Yep. If only everybody who came to North Star was my mother and felt the same way about, you know, my ideas. That <laughs> and only if your mother applied that in ways you wish she would. Yeah. Um, so I think we're at the part where we're making recommendations, and I want to go first because I don't want you to steal mine. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to I want to recommend our book that we only partially still agree with and that we need to rewrite. Okay. But um, I still think it's got some good stuff in it. It's called uh, Forgiving in a World That Loves to Hate. Yep. And it's by Teresa and Scott McBean. It's got a good title. Us, our mother-son team. I have a series of essays, you know, that we... You know, that, that could be turned into version, updated version two of that. So yeah. So if you, if you read that and it's just not enough for you, then, then I can forward you, I can forward you the, uh, the essays, the, the appendix. But I think, uh, I think we made a good start with that book. We're going to, we're probably going to redo it at some point. Yeah. I like the cover of that book. I thought it was a pretty cover. Our friend Kelly yeah. Hall helped us with that. Yeah, it's a good cover. And it was good. Um, but anyway, that's my recommendation, Forgiving in a World that Loves to Hate. And you can get it um, at our sister organization, uh, the National Association for Christian Recovery, www.nacr.org, or on Amazon. Yep, I will recommend the Book of Common Prayer. Um, if you grew up in a tradition that, uh, in a Christian tradition that wasn't super liturgical, which means that it wasn't super formal, 
then you may have never even heard of the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, but it's something that I rely on when we have events and functions to do, from baptisms to weddings to funerals. There are so many good prayers in there designed for certain occasions um, that are really moving. And we read one um, at a funeral over the weekend that, um, you know, as I read it out loud, maybe it works better in print than something that you read out loud, but there's a lot of really moving stuff in there. And I think a lot of people struggle with prayer and they struggle to know what words to pray. And sometimes it helps to have prayers written down that you can look at and say, I am praying this prayer and I'm making it mine. Yeah, and, well, I um, think if, that's a great idea. If you're one of those people, then I would I would recommend looking at that as a, as a possible resource. Fantastic. And I really like how pretty your Book of Common Prayer looks. So. Yeah, I think most of them are fairly, uh, fairly, know, fairly lovely, well designed. Lovingly like designed. Yeah, just a plain black book. Um, yeah, but gold-rimmed pages. Yeah, yeah. yeah got that well, we look. digress. Not yeah. everyone loves actual books as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you've managed to stay through all this pitter-patter, you're now hearing music from Blue Dot Sessions can be found on the web at sessions.blue, which is royalty-free music, where we get for a lot of things that we do, and it's all lovely. I always find a little bit of music in the background makes even the most banal conversation sound fancier. So you might want to check that you out You make it for sound like you're just like sitting around hoping to like find background music to listen to so you don't have to pay attention to the conversations you're having. Actually, I was thinking about some things that I need you to do with for me in terms of video marketing and yeah. how no matter how inadequate I am on that, the music, the music just makes, makes it, better. it better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, folks, I'm sure you're sick of us. Because <laughs> uh-huh. we're sick of you. No, we're sick of each other. So we're going to leave <laughs> this now. Take care. All we'll right. talk to you soon. We'll be back next week. Bye.